Hey there, this is Carrie Schaefer, also known as author Carrie Ann King, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Secrets, where I get to take you off the page with the people who make the books we all love to read. Tell Me Your Secrets is produced from live stream video and is owned and copyrighted by Authors on the Air, Global Radio Broadcasting Network. everybody. Carrie Schaefer here today. Definitely Carrie Schaefer today. This is not a Carrie Ann King interview, I don't think. Although if you're here, that's okay. You should stay because it's going to be fun. I am here today with a guest doing something a little different than I usually do, talking about a book that isn't my usual read because I was fascinated by the premise and the author is really awesome and fun. So I'm going to introduce him right now to you. We are going to be talking today to Frank Oliva. He is a practicing attorney and a law professor from Long Island, New York. As a teenager, he worked as a receptionist at the rectory of his local parish and developed a close relationship with one of the priests, a former English teacher. Their philosophical conversations about the nature of good and evil left a lasting impression on Frank and inspired him to write his first novel, Walking Among the Trees, nearly two decades later. When he isn't busy working or writing, Frank can be found spending time with his wife and twin children, reading or playing video games. I'm thinking the conversations had to have been pretty epic to have inspired this book this much later. And I was really fascinated by Frank's story and wanted to talk to him. So I am going to bring him right on here so you guys can say hi. Hi, Frank. Hi, Carrie. Hi, everybody. How are you you doing over there? I heard rumors. I heard rumors that you might be in the middle of moving or something. Yes, yeah, so we're in the middle of moving from, uh, we're not far, but um, to a new house. So the, this is the first time I'm moving with a whole house of stuff to another house. And it's just so much. It's so a, much. a whole house of stuff. Plus, you mentioned twins involved in this process. So three-year-old twins, a boy and girl. Um, a cat, too. And Sorry. a cat. I'm not going to leave her behind. She's very important. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. So, and your previous moves were... Well, I'm gonna just gonna say this. Your previous moves did not happen while you were launching a new book. No, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big coincidence. It really is. It's just yeah, you know, you know how to you know how to make them happen. You know how to have fun. <laughs> okay, glutton of glutton for punishment or you know, sins, past sins, something, something going on there. So <laughs> Frank, before I get way down some rabbit hole from which we never recover, I want to make sure that you tell us a little bit about your book. I can sure. see that you have the the lovely cover there on your wall. You have a poster, yes. and I have one behind me now today, too. If you guys are normally watching with me, you'll notice that I've got a little bit of a different background today because I thought if we're going scary, then we might as well play. So anyways, back to, back to the book. Among the Trees by Frank Oliva, which is now available just on Tuesday, correct? I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that. It, it came available on Tuesday, was that right? Oh, yes, Tuesday. So it's been out, is it two days? I'm losing track of time. Today's Thursday. Two, two days? Two, days. Yeah. Ooh, two days. yeah. Yeah. So the, I, to get it out of the way first, and I always like, I've been bringing this up right up, you know, right up front because it's not, it's not for everybody, like Terry mentioned. It's a demonic possession story. And I know 
some people aren't always comfortable with it. To, to be honest, it's one of the things that scares me the most, but hopefully it's a little different than what you've seen. So it's about a, a Catholic priest and uh, he's, he's older, he's in his sixties and he's a Vietnam war veteran. And he actually had studied to become a doctor, um, but he never finished his residency and, and became a priest and said, so at this stage of his life, he actually through a stroke of either bad luck or fate, let's say he finds himself, embroiled in a potential, a case of potential demonic investigation, and he has to investigate it, right? He has, you know, it came to his lap, and he, you know, because he, he is a good person, he, he tries to help as much as he can. And so he investigates the case, and he finds out that the girl who was thought to be possessed is, in fact, possessed, unfortunately. And so he just thinks, all right, I know it's possessed. I've done my part. She's possessed. I've done my part. I'm going to bring this to the bishop of the diocese, which is sort of the, the standard protocol when it comes to exorcism cases. You bring it to the bishop, and the bishop assigns a formal exorcist who's been trained and who can deal with that stuff. Uh, um, I have a visitor, unfortunately. <laughs> so come here, come here for a second. I'm just going to this so, is not the first time this has happened on yeah, the show. Hi. Yeah. There's just too much going on in my house right now. Yeah. So this is Michael, by the way. He's my Hi, son. Michael. He knows nothing about the novel. Um, so where was I? So he he tries to bring the um, the case's attention to the bishop, and he figures the bishop will pass it on. To his surprise, when the he gets to the bishop, the bishop says, "Well, sorry, no, I don't have anybody else. So I need you to participate." So. Kerrigan is just shocked and dismayed and he loses it. He, he panics because he's got a dark past, unfortunately, that no one knows about. And he knows that demons can see your past and use them against you. So to get out of it, he reaches out to one of his old mentors. His name is Monsignor Carmichael. And they meet in a secluded nature preserve. Now, Monsignor Carmichael has a relationship with the bishop. So Kerrigan feels... Kerrigan, the main character, feels, oh, you know, let me ask the bishop. He can get me off the hook. But the bishop, knowing him as long as he has, I'm sorry, um, Monsignor Carmichael, knowing him as long as he has, knows something's up. So he doesn't just say yes right away. He drags him through the nature preserve. And we kind of, we see what, why he doesn't, Kerrigan doesn't want to do the exorcism. And we sort of see what led to the. Okay. So you've set us up right from the beginning with some lovely questions and mysteries along with all the scary stuff. Now, I want to talk about this. Now, you said that the the possession stuff is kind of one of your deep fears. Yeah. Um, but you wrote about it, um, which authors tend to do. It, I, I, and this is one of the things I want to talk about because one of my deep fears, too. So, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, I don't necessarily believe as much as I once did, or I'm not scared yeah. now, but as a child, I was absolutely terrified. So um, let's talk about upbringing a little bit. Are you, you are Catholic. You worked in the yes. Catholic rectory. So you had the good Catholic upbringing. I was raised Catholic. My parents took me and my brother to church every Sunday for uh, maybe not all the time, but for a good um, stretch of years, we went every Sunday and we became right. all servers actually. Okay. And I, on the other hand, grew up in a very different religion where we were taught to fear you Catholic people, <laughs> um, along with all the demonic stuff. So I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And oh. um, 
there there was a lot of you know as a child i really i remember going to sleep and putting a bible under my pillow or something because i really 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 was scared because i'd done one bad thing that day and that the devil therefore was going to be able to come get me so i remember these fears and it's amazing how even as an adult where i really don't believe I'm open to discussing, and it'll be fun to talk about that in a minute, whether, you know, um, possession is actually a thing, but I don't think it's so easily done as I told a lie today to my teacher. And so therefore, you know, I'm open to the devil and he's going to come for me. So, um, <laughs> but still, despite that, as an adult, I still have that sort of internal, yeah, I don't want to go there, you know, which is just interesting to me. So well, did you have those kind of fears as a child? So, it, well, maybe not as a child, but I, I think the first scary, scary movie I saw was Stephen King's It, and, yeah. and you know, the TV version. That scared me in different ways. But when I so when I saw The Exorcist for the first time, it was when I was working at the rectory. And I'll tell you the effect it had on me. I mean, I was what it does to you. I think, and maybe this makes sense to you, is that you you start thinking about the devil, and you're worried the devil knows you're thinking about him. Right? right? Maybe that's going to open up some sort of right somewhere right yeah. that's what gets in mind and at night it would be so bad i couldn't sleep right um, see so I, that, I was smart i never watched that movie i wouldn't i wouldn't allow it to be turned on in the house i've never seen the exorcist or rosemary's baby or you know like any of those i just i i don't want to <laughs> i understand that i completely understand because it does get into your head it really does yeah, and and I and I see how that, um, but it's a fascinating conversation. So this whole thing about the nature of good and evil, yeah. um, you know, and leaving the devil out of it partly is just that whole um, light against dark. That theme right. is in all, so much literature, everything from Harry Potter to you know the great literary classics. You've got the and and Star Wars. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's true. Everything, yeah. And I always, I always felt that The Exorcist and, and stories like this were almost the ultimate expression of it, or maybe the most literal expression of it, or maybe even the most symbolic, too. So that's maybe that's why it stuck with me. You know, uh, let's talk about, I, you know, that's interesting. I like the idea of it being symbolic, um, and I hadn't really thought of it in that way. So where, where would that take you, do you think? I mean, you know, can you tell me what you're thinking as far as what it would be symbolic of? Um, well, the way I was thinking of it is when, so instead of the vague concepts of good and evil, you almost have like a physical embodiment of it, right? You right, sure. The priest on one hand, and then you're literally staring at evil in the flesh on the other hand. And I always found that so frightening and powerful. Um, right. But I think it also can be a metaphor for one dealing with their own internal demons. And that's really what this the story is about, right? So Kerrigan is is forced with the decision, is confronted with the decision of facing a demon, literally, but he's got his own too. Right. So that's really what I was trying to play on. Okay. So he's got the the literal in your face, gonna suck your soul out of your body and you know, um <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that demons do. He's got that going on, but then he also has a dark past. And when you say internal demons, some, some secrets and some, yeah. you know, things that need to be confronted and faced. So, yeah. so among the trees, then having this happen in a dark forest, I'm assuming is also a nicely metaphorical statement. Yes, yes, it is. And that yeah. was not 
purpose. That wasn't on purpose. That was an accident. So do you want me to tell you the backstory? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Sure. So do you, uh, have you seen the film Jackie with Natalie Portman? It's about Jackie Kennedy. And, no, I have uh, Okay, so it doesn't matter. It was just, a, it came out, um, I think in 20, 2016, not a couple of years ago. So it was about Jackie after the assassination of JFK, um, played by Natalie Portman. And um, it was kind of like how she dealt with the grief of all that and how she processed everything and, and kind of suggested she never really was fully able to, to get over it. But in that movie, there are scenes with her and a Catholic priest walking through a tree-lined trail. And she uses the priest to sort of like process that grief. And I remember seeing that scene on those scenes on an airplane. And I was like, this is so fascinating. What if you had two priests, right? Um, one priest seeking advice from another priest walking a tree line trail. And that's how it's sort of like all gelled together for me. And that, that was the launching point for starting to write the book. Isn't it fascinating how those ideas come to us and they're not always, you know, I once upon a time before I started seriously writing had this idea that you sit down and you figure it all out. And then, you know, the, the author creates the book and really I've come to believe at least in my experience in my writing process, the book really creates itself. And it doesn't matter whether I sit down and try and create a whole synopsis before I get going. Um, it's going to still create itself. Yeah. <laughs> As as we go along. Yeah, it's because things come up that, you know, it's, it's beyond rational thought, really. So this is a little bit supernatural for me, really, writing. Um, it, it seems sometimes like it comes from outside. Like, yeah. I didn't think about it. It just showed up. Showed up. I agree with that. And, you know, I didn't plot the novel in advance either. I mean, I knew kind of more or less where I was going to go, but um, I didn't. I didn't plot out or outline the book at all. I know some some authors do, some don't. I, I didn't for this particular one. Right. So, well, I, and different books are shaped in different ways, and different people work in different styles. So you know, that's also endlessly fascinating. But so this was. We need to talk about this a little bit. So this was your first book, and how long did it take you to actually write it? So it was so not long after I saw that movie. I started writing. So that was 2016. Um, and so three and a half going on four years, mm -hmm. you know, it took a while, but you know, I had also, I've done a quite a few, quite a few drafts, quite a few rounds of editing. And with my busy lifestyle, it was always <laughs> grab a moment to write here or there too. So, Right. Yeah, well, because you are you are a busy guy. So we talked about that. So there there are the twins. And I remember having a three year old and I, I know like one is <laughs> one is plenty. And, and I know all of the lovely, well-meaning people who told me when I only had one child that it would be easier to have two. And those people are absolutely insane. I, I don't I don't know where that myth comes from, but it ain't true. <laughs> So, so you have two twins and there you go, not two twins, but twins and they're three and you have the cat and you're married. So you have a relationship to maintain and then you have a demanding job on top of all of that. So, and I, I'm wondering, cause I suspect that your job also plays into this fascination with good and evil because you're going to see plenty of that playing out. So yeah. um, let's talk about that a little bit. So you're an attorney and yeah. you're, you're involved in not uh, not criminal law, but well, yeah, we talked about backstage. It's just it is kind of criminal, but it's not what I think of as criminal law. Um, but still, you're you're dealing with some 
pretty um, ethical ethical issues, both as as a legal person and the people that you're representing. Right. So, so um, I actually worked on the liquidation of Bernie Madoff's estate. So people probably remember him more because he just died, but he was right. the one that ran the largest Ponzi scheme known to man, basically, right? And so people lost everything with him, their life savings, their college funds, their homes, I mean, everything you can imagine. And he knew what he was doing. And, and in fact, it seems if you look at what he said after the fact, he doesn't seem to be remorseful right. at all. He's passed now. But so it, it's not criminal law per se, but we were, we're trying to clean up the mess that was made by one of the worst criminals you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, the nature of that, it's like, what, what makes a person be that way? And so this goes back to my fascination with good and evil too, is that I'm a mental health counselor, another part of my life. Um, I worked mental health crisis for a while. I used to believe once upon a time that if there was a bad person, there had to be bad parents. And I honestly really believe that, especially with kids. And then I encountered these situations that to me were just inexplicable. Like you'd have two kids in a family. Um, the parents seemed to be pretty decent parents. One kid was perfectly fine. And the other one was just had no conscience and no desire, no empathy, you know, seemed to be born that way. And so um, it made me ask some pretty hard questions about that whole good and evil thing. So I'm just curious about, you know, your thoughts on that part of the story as well. So I, I mean, I guess the, the story is premised on the fact that there is a pure evil, right? But I mean, in my own experience, I've always wondered whether there is a such, there is such a thing, but it's hard to say there, is, there are people that do such abhorrent, horrible things that you can't really come up with an explanation for. And by the way, I don't have blinds. That's why my window's open. So I apologize. <laughs> it's just a mess. It's a, you know what, Frank? It, it lets us all know that you are a perfectly human being living your perfectly human life. And I am very grateful for the fact that you are here with us with all of this going on in your house. So we're not yeah. bothered by we're not bothered by a little background good, stuff. That's good. So, to your question, um, I always wonder if there's an absolute evil and if people can be influenced by so many different things. And I, I guess the other issue, which I don't know where I'm settled on this, but if you believe in the kind of stuff in walking on the trees, maybe some of those things have an influence too, you know, which is... Right. See, I didn't want to believe that. I'd rather not believe that stuff, but you know, um, yeah, who knows, but it's an, it's such a fascinating question. And I love that you got into it in, in a book and wrote a novel about it. I, I find novels are such a great tool for discussing issues like that. You can yeah. explore ideas and concepts and truths um, in such a better way for me. I'm not, I'm not really crazy about nonfiction, generally speaking. So um, yeah, you get to read lots of nonfiction stuff as an attorney. <laughs> all day, all day. All day, I bet. Nice so what, what, what do you like to read on your on your downtime? What's your favorite kind of books? So I do like to read some nonfiction. I, I will read like historical nonfiction sometimes. So I'm always fascinated with history, but I do read horror I mean, I'm, I'm open to anything, thrillers, um, fantasy sometimes. So it runs the gamut. I guess okay. the problem for me lately, though, has just been time. So I, I, yeah. you know, between writing and everything else, I haven't had a lot of time to read. 
yeah. so hope you catch up. Yeah, I, I hear that. I remember when my kids were little and there there were times where I read anyways, like I would rather have gone without sleep than <laughs> go anymore without reading. But yeah, there's only there's a certain point to that, that it you, anyway, you have to take care of your life and you have to write. And there's times I don't know if this is true for you, but I'm noticing this right now. There's times where I have to stop reading in order to get to my writing because the reading can kind of take the edge off my need to write and then it's harder to do the writing i think that's true that was true for me during this i just didn't have the time because otherwise i would have been reading on the train right that was one of the places i wrote right um and that's what i had done a lot before i started writing the book i would read on the train sometimes and so i sacrificed right. that i sacrificed my video games i sacrificed everything really yeah well, well, you really have to. If you're going to write and have a family that you are involved with and a job, then, you know, people people ask me that, too. I wrote several, well, most of my books, really, while doing a full-time job. And people would say, well, how do you find time for that? I'm like, well, I don't have friends. I, I don't, you know, I don't really go anywhere. I don't really do anything. I go to work. I come home. I do my family stuff. And I and I write and, and read because I have to read. But um, that's, you know, and I'm still doing that pretty much it's just i don't mind i'm an introvert so it's okay but my i can be too for sure yeah. and i think you know people tend to say they're going to wait for a more convenient time and you know when when are things going to get more convenient it was either sort of do it now even though it was painful or keep yeah. on putting it off and be stressed about that be depressed about right. it right resentful, you know all yeah. those things yeah. No, it's much better to write. If you need to write, you have to write or you'll yeah. get sick. Really, I believe this. I think we get sick if we don't write, if we have that call and we don't answer it. So mentally, physically, some way, because it's a thing you need to do. So, yeah, it becomes priority uh, and then we make time for it. So, um, oh, we got Terry here. Hey, Terry would like to know. Let me see. Oh, what genres beside his own does Frank like to read? We were just talking about that, Terry. You came in just like a couple minutes too late. So let, let me take that question one more and ask you if you can remember what's the last book you read. Ooh, I hate when people ask me these because I can never remember titles. <laughs> so I'm actually reading the last book I finished. Let me think for a second. Or what you're reading right now. Um, well, what I'm reading right now actually is a is a, a book from a fellow author at my publishing company. It's called The Pilgrim's Soul. It's about a cancer patient who dies and basically is reborn. It's about the question of what happens if you if this isn't the end and you're literally reborn after you you die. So I'm, in the middle of that. I'm just I'm taking longer to read it than I should because of everything going on. But. You're not taking it longer to read it than you should. <laughs> it's amazing that you're getting any reading done with everything going on. That's a, you don't you don't get to say that because it's crazy what you're getting done. So, question: When you're done moving and things settle down a little, do you have another book that you're going to write? Do you know? So I, I'm still trying to figure that out. People who have read Walking Among the Trees have been asking for a sequel. In fact, one of my my friends just finished reading it yesterday and asked me. And, I can see why people might be interested in that, but I never, that's never been my attention. intention. It's always been for it to be a standalone. So I don't plan on doing that next, but I, I'll keep the idea in the back of my mind. What I was thinking of doing is having the main character, Father Carrigan, maybe appear in a separate story as a minor yeah. character. And I have an like, idea like for that. 
Stephen King type thing who always exactly. has his, you know, I'm not a huge Stephen King fan either, as you can guess. I have read a few um, because the people in my world, my my Viking and actually my kids are like, mom, you have to read Stephen King. So they were pushing, pushing. And I sort of I read the half of the stand. <laughs> it's a long book. I, I read half of it and I got like to the middle and I was like, you know, if it were a shorter book, I would finish it, but I do not want to live in this world anymore. And it's interesting because I was going through a rather dark time at the time. A friend that I worked with had just committed suicide. Things were dark in my world already. And I was like, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to live here anymore. But um, King, you know, I have read a couple of his shorter ones and he's brilliant how he does his characters and how he raises that fear for you out of, you know, he never really shows you the thing you're afraid of. He lets your imagination do it for you. It's really yes. pretty brilliant. But so cool. I'm glad that you are going to write another book and we should talk about where people can find you. Uh, I need to say the name of the book again, which is Walking Among the Trees by Frank Oliva. And if you like the scary things, <laughs> a little exorcism, a little demonic stuff, um, priests figuring out what's the right thing to do, then this is the book for you. Um, so Frank, you are on Facebook. I know just as, is it Frank Oliva on Facebook as well? Yeah, it's Frank, the, the page is Frank M. Oliva. Frank M. Oliva. And if you're listening to this on the audio version, his last name is spelled Oliva, O-L-I-V-A. And then do you have a website? Yes, it's still under construction, so I apologize, but you can visit it if you want. It's mostly there. It's www frankmoliva.com. You have one of those names where you get to have your actual, you know, whatever you want. That's good. So yeah. <laughs> Frank M. Oliva. And then um, Instagram, you are on Instagram, um, I saw. Yeah, let me, sorry. I always forget to pull my handle. I can get it real quick though. It's, That's okay. In the meantime, let's see. Terry's asking about how Frank plots. Um, we did talk about that, Terry. You are going to have to just go back to the beginning and <laughs> Don't listen to the rerun because <laughs> we we had a conversation about that already. Okay, so Instagram. Uh, Frank Oliva. So first name, last name, twelve eighty four. Twelve eighty four. Frank Oliva, twelve eighty four. So Instagram did not want to play quite so nice with you, but <laughs> no, I, I, I had a hard time with that one. You <laughs> you can't have everything. Okay. So. Okay, well, that's really cool. And I'm really delighted that you came here to talk to us today. This was a great conversation. And yeah, I think people... Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, good luck with your move and your twins and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, when you have the next book, we'll have to have you come back and talk about how that went for you too. Sounds great. Sounds great. All right. Okay, all right. you take care. And uh, I think I'm back next. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm back next week as uh, Carrie Ann King. And I have the lovely Barbara Josselson here next week, which is this kind of a much more uplifting, heartwarming summer romance. So a completely different kind of thing. But hey, we like to talk about all the books. So I will see you next week. Bye, Frank. Thanks for Bye, being thanks here. So much. Bye.